Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Small Council Radio, where we discuss everything A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game by Simon. Uh, today, we have a very special guest coming from Australia. Uh, he is not quite on just yet, but uh, for now, we have Jose and myself. This is Brett. Uh, Dave is going to be on, but he'll be on a little bit later. And uh, Justin has a uh, personal matter to take care of. So for now, it's just Jose and I. So how are you tonight, Jose? Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. So tonight, the, sh- the, the topic of the show is going to be um, how you do some of your deployments, some of your unit formations, taking advantage of some of the terrain that's available, and just basic general um, how you're going to set your army up, where you're putting your hammers, where you're putting your anvils, and uh, just kind of go into some of that stuff. But uh, I guess since our guest isn't on yet, we'll do some of the shout-outs that we normally do at the end of the show. And uh, as always, if uh, you guys want to call in to ask a question to ourselves or to the guest, uh, feel free to do so, and uh, we'll see if we can get you on. But uh, as far as shout-outs, Jose, I'll let you go first if you've got anything. Um, nothing in particular. Uh, just maybe our local gaming shop out here, uh, Games Plus, is in Mount Prospect. Um, you know, we, we usually go there every Wednesday, and we host our tournaments there. Um, so definitely want to give them a shout out. If you you know if you guys don't have a home shop, definitely check them out. Check out their website, their Facebook page, uh, and just you know, if you can maybe support them uh, in that way or you know buy something from them or whatever. So, but other than that, that's probably okay. my only uh, my only shout out though. Okay. Well, I just want to say um, to start with, obviously, this is what would have been Gen Con weekend. So, Simon is doing like a a virtual Gen Con. Uh, and it's at Friday, I believe it's 6 o'clock. Is it Eastern Standard Time? I can find out for sure and drop that link, but I'm sure that everyone who's listening is probably well aware of that. But um, definitely want to check that out and see what Simon's sharing with us, what they're leaking, and what they're going to cover with us. And then afterwards, On the Table Gaming is doing some, uh, like a, a follow-up show, and uh, I will be lucky enough to be on there actually uh, representing Small Council Radio. And Shane, the store owner at Family Time Games, will be on there as well. And we're basically going to be talking about the event that's coming up this weekend, uh, which uh, we've already shouted out, but the event in Indianapolis Saturday. So it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We've got a whole bunch of prizes. Simon has sent a boatload of uh, prizes for us, as well as some vouchers for uh, some unreleased unit boxes. So stay tuned. Uh we have Summer Slaughter, uh, an up-and-coming YouTube channel that's kind of really gaining a lot of popularity. He is going to be there, so we're going to do what we can to try to set up some live streams. And worst-case scenario, we're going to be recording top tables and uh, get those posted up later. So you'll be able to see some of that action and see some models um, actually on the table. So I just got a message from our guest, and I believe he said he is connected. So can you hear us? Uh, I can hear you. Yeah, hi guys. Can you hear me? Hey, there he is. You guys, yeah, I want to Going to introduce our uh, special guest. This is Lockie Carter. He's uh, he's been on the um, Song of Ice and Fire miniatures page for a long time. He's been there since I can remember being on there. Uh, I've been a fan of his for a while. He's always been uh, the kind of guy that builds the list that. Uh, 
some people wouldn't expect, and he's he's made some things work that other people have complained that didn't necessarily work. So I've been a fan of what he's done, and then with the emergence of TTS, I know that he's got a very strong club out there in Australia. I haven't had the chance to play him yet, but I played one of his uh, club mates in a Stark on Stark match, and it was uh, not so great for me. So why don't you introduce yourself, Lockie, and uh, let us know how you got into this game and what your gaming background is and uh, just basically what what drives you to play. Uh, hi. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Lockie Carter. Uh, I got into uh, a Song of Ice and Fire. I used to play Infinity. Uh, still do. Love the game. Uh, waiting on a new edition. But um, I wanted a fantasy game that was sort of uh, complexity in how the game has um, and, like, not so I'd, I'd still be watching um, Ash's uh, reports and Did we lose you or can you still hear me? Because you were cutting out a little bit there. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear Hello? you again. Oh, sorry. Maybe it was my mic. Um, yeah, no, I just yeah, I got into the game good. watching Ash play and um, just being like really interested in, in how it played, how the mechanics work. The sideboard really got me hooked and the alternate activations was, I think, a huge part, especially coming from Infinity where you always have to be clued on. There's not that point where you zone out and your opponent does something for like 20 minutes and then you get to do something with whatever's left. You always need to be thinking a couple of steps ahead to, to play the game and you always need to be planning. Um, and you have the ability to respond immediately almost to what your opponent does. So, yeah, so I really like that. And that's, that's what got me into the game. Uh, and then I got the Starks and that was it. Fantastic. You so it's, oh yeah. Sorry. Did you have anything to add, Jose? Go ahead. Oh no, no, that was I, that wasn't me. You're good. With that, I think it sets up a pretty good transition for the topic of tonight, um, which is unit positioning. You know, setting up deployment and uh, using some of that terrain to your advantage. So I already know the answer to this, but just for our listeners. Um, do you prefer random terrain or chosen terrain, and, and why? Um, so I've actually got an interesting point on this one. But, um, I, look, I do prefer player chosen terrain. Um, we've heard from Michael Chanel that the game and units are designed with player chosen terrain in mind, which means that there are units out there which are not going to seem very good until you take terrain, dedicated terrain considerations into account. Um, Old Bowman and Palisade would be obviously There are people like I think we lost you again. Yeah, we definitely did. I was just getting ready to say we, we lost the connection with you again. I think we pretty much uh, stopped uh, hearing. Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It sounds better now. Yep. 
Sorry. Oh, I think I might know what it is. It's because I'm speaking on my phone, and so it's um, if it tries to lock, it uh, might be dropping out. I'll make sure it doesn't lock. Yeah, um, so you, you cut out. You cut out when you were saying that uh, that Michael Chanel had the game designed to where people would pick their own terrain. That's where you cut out. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so I guess the follow-up to that was that that means that there are units that are designed to interact with specific terrain choices um, and that the obvious one would be uh, Bowman in a Palisade, particularly previous, the previous iteration of Bowman, uh, significantly different when you can guarantee that there's a Palisade on the table to when you might only have that if you roll a seven or um, get lucky, you know? Uh, and then we see that as well in Free Folk Eagles and Targaryen cards and abilities that let them ignore specific terrain. Terrain placement and choice should be a really important aspect of the game. Um, that being said, uh, played in the NRG tournament Builder League and we used random terrain. And it was interesting. I definitely don't prefer it, but it wasn't as bad as I had feared it would be. Can you guys hear me? Oh, yeah. we. Can yeah, hear. no, you're good. Um, you're good. Um, oh, cool. But, Sorry. Go ahead, Brett. Go ahead. Across the world. What about you, Jose? Never sure. Uh, for me, I actually – I mean, so I, that's a really good point that you brought up. Um, I think that certain units do perform better with certain pieces of terrain. However, I do like the RAM terrain. I think it makes you have to think on your feet more, uh, adapt to situations. And um, and I just I, – I like that. I like having to think. And then I also like the fact that it makes me use pieces of terrain that I don't normally use. Because a lot of times, you know, when, you, when we were picking terrain, um, you would see a lot of, like, horse piles. You'd see a lot of weirwood trees, palisades, and, like, you wouldn't really see anything else, you know. So it's just kind of like – it's kind of nice and refreshing, in my opinion, to see a big mix of terrain – um, and then just how you're able to adapt to it, you know, I think that's that's um, something that I enjoy um, now as opposed to being able to pick it. But I, I mean, I know some people, depending on where you go, different tournaments and different like local uh, events and stuff, uh, depending on your group. So I know some people still do the you pick your own, and some people some people do the random. So it all it all depends on what your group does. But uh, I know for us, we do random, and I I love it. So that's that's my take on it. Yeah, generally, generally I prefer chosen. Um, I've played a little bit into the random terrain uh, there for a while. It was pretty much all that we did, but it, it kind of for me it ended up being as as redundant as the uh, chosen terrain, where you had weirwood tree, weirwood tree, corpse pile, maybe a palisade here and there. It seemed like almost every random terrain game that I played, there was two hedges, a stake, and maybe a palisade and if a player got their choice it was a weirwood tree or a corpse pile so it ended up being almost all destructible terrain and it was just the the smaller pieces the you know the low wall the hedge the stakes and the palisade so i've gone back into liking chosen terrain after playing in the nrg event and i definitely see exactly what Lockie's talking about and what chanel is talking about where some units just get better when they have the terrain that uh, that works for them. Um, terrain definitely makes um, ranged units a whole lot better. And 
particularly the Stark Bowmen with the uh, with the ability to shoot over any terrain and that palisade being placed there. But I found that with even crossbowmen and and in some cases Cranugmen, uh, it's really nice to be able to have like a stake or or a palisade there to help you know protect their flanks and uh, let them do what they do. So that's my personal opinion at this point. Um, definitely would prefer chosen, but uh, random is okay, I guess. But uh, on to the next topic uh, with our guest. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the deployments. So I'm curious. You've been um, known for for having these formations that you swear by, and uh, I'm looking at some <laughs> of your notes, and uh, it's uh, it's definitely something. So I think I think that our guests want to hear that, and uh, I think they want to hear from you exactly what goes on in your mind when you're when you're building your army first of all, and then. Uh, when you set it up on the table, like, are you deploying to the mission? Are you deploying to what your opponent is doing? Or do you have this battle formation that you have set up in your mind and that's what you're going to do no matter what? Um, I don't think there's any sort of hard and fast, uh, this is the one I ascribe to type thing. I think uh, having that means that one of the other three considerations will get you in trouble. Um, That being said, if I build an army, I'm definitely trying to think of how am I going to position the units on the table to get to minimize the weaknesses of the unit choices that I've made and maximize their strengths. Um, my take tends to be if I have a goal for how something will work, um, provided I know how I want something to work, it doesn't matter if something's the most uh, efficient unit or the optimal choice or whatever. If I can execute how I want it to work on the table, then most times it will work. Uh, and then in terms of deployment, I often, um, this is going to sound a bit thing, but we all played Age of Empires and Games Workshop battle reports when we were younger and things like that and reading history books with how infantry moved around in historic battles. I like to take those concepts and try and apply them to the game as well. Um, but then when you're on the table, you have to consider... And you have to make uh, allowances for, like, um, Game of Thrones. You're going to know where three of the five objectives are. So you can place them with your plan in mind, but you also have to be willing to respond to what your opponent does to adjust. Um, And then you have to be able to respond to what they've got in their list. Um, Recently, I got my butt handed to me by an all-night list, and... um, I think in that case, I just didn't quite have the tools that I needed to address it. Um, so I guess without getting a bit side or getting a bit sidetracked, what I'm, what I, yeah, it's it's hard to put a thing on and say this is definitively what I do, but it's definitely like these are all concepts I have in mind when I'm planning. Uh, I guess the basic ones are tend to have an idea of you, every armor has, should have a center. Uh, that is like the um, the bulk of your army, uh, and then a left flank and a right flank, uh, and go from there. Yeah, so I mean, that makes me... sense. And... Go ahead, Brad, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, man. Um, no, you're good. I was going to say, it, it makes sense, and it, it, it sounds really simple, but it makes sense to me now. Um one thing that I like to do, and then and then uh, after you answer, Jose, you just go ahead and transition into 
how you kind of do your deployment. Honestly, one of my favorite deployments, basically no matter what the game mode or who my opponent is, I really like to load up one side of the table and kind of just abandon the other. And I did that a lot with Tyrion because I was running uh, four combat units and just the two NCUs, which is, you know, that Gen Con list that I ran. So I was used to playing with lower activations. So found if I kind of started on one flank, not quite the far side of that flank, and then started to build my way in, and then my opponent would kind of react to that, I could get him to drop some units over on the opposite side, and then I would just go full on to, you know, the right side or the left side, wherever I was choosing to go. And that's something that I still do even when I play Stark um, or Night's Watch or whoever it is. I basically pick a side of the field that I like, and I, I lean my troops really, really hard into that side. And then my opponent can either take what he wants on the opposite side of the battlefield, which tends to work out well for me because then he's mismatched on the side that I've made strong, or he brings his stuff over to my side, and then he's behind the game, you know, a round or two. And uh, I'm just curious if that's if that's something that you consider doing, or do you feel like you need to account for both sides? And obviously, it'll depend on what your army is. But I know that you play free folk, and I've even done that with free folk um, as far as just loading up one side or. Uh, like using Lady Ball at the end to bring stuff from one side all the way over to the other and just abandon that side, and it catches people off guard. But uh, what's your take on that uh, on that type of play? Uh, I think I probably try and do the same thing in about uh, 80 or 90% of my games. Um, I've been playing a little around with not doing that lately because I felt like it was getting uh, – the, the guys I play against were getting too used to it. Um, but I think it's incredibly powerful um, and probably how I would recommend to play almost every game mode. And the reason for that in part is you putting your opponent out of position, as you said, but I also think you have to consider that by doing that, you're protecting one of your flanks with the table edge because your opponent can't get around that table edge. They can't get over it. Uh, mostly um, they can't, attack you from that table edge. You know that whatever unit you put on that side, it's never going to be getting out positioned from that direction. Um, and that's hugely powerful as well. I think it also, um, it ties in uh, really strongly to um, unit uh, armies that have less activations than their opponent because they typically have better quality troops. And if they're forcing the opponent into one-on-one -on -one fights, like one unit versus one unit, then they're applying more force to their opponent's unit per that area on the table, right? Uh, and they'll probably win because they do have the better unit. So, yeah, I, I think I generally ascribe to that same idea. Yeah, I, I, I kind of do the same as you guys. Um, try to load up one side. Um, yeah, even if, even if there's objectives, I'll, fo I'll focus on one half of the objectives and, like, give up the other one depending on what they are. Um, like, mm. you know, uh, you know, depending on what, what like, if there's a, any any uh, mission with, like, the little mini cards with a, a Game of Thrones or something, depending on what they are, I might just give up one whole side. Um, really rarely do I, like, ever match up, like, one for one. Um, I don't find that as effective. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I, I, really, I really just kind of do what you guys do. Uh, I think when I played Starks as a main army, I think I did it less. 
because I was able to like have more stuff on the field and I felt more confident spreading out a little more. But I, when I play Baratheon, uh, I definitely load up one side. Um, it's easier to to manage, I think. And then I and then typically with like anything with like if I have like wardens with like a warden master in there, like and I put them on the flanks, like it, I don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? I just kind of gotta just focus on what I need to do and just let them take hits, and if they come from the side, then whatever, it's not a big deal. So that's kind of like my style right now with the Baratheons. And what I, what I wanted to ask you, uh, Lockie, was I wanted to know if, so like, I know you play Starks, so what would a typical, I know you, and earlier you mentioned like you do the center and the, you have the flanks and stuff, so like what would a typical setup for like your typical list look like? Like how do you, how do you set up? Um, as, so far as, as, far, as far as like which, which oh. units, sorry, as far, as far as like which units you put where. Yeah, cool. Um, so my favorite list at the moment, or always has been, is uh, Rob as commander in Sworn Swords with uh, Bran and Hodor in another unit of Sworn Swords, and then a unit of archers for range support and double cav. Uh, and I, the way I like to set that up is generally uh, a line of Sworn Swords, archers, and then Sworn Swords, usually with like a palisade in front of the archers to protect them. And just have that just off center of the middle of the table. So I'm leaning towards one edge of the table, but not too heavily leaning on it. Uh, and then depending on how my opponent deploys, either doing like two dogs on one side, two cavalry on the other, or one dog, one cavalry, one dog, one cavalry, either side, or uh, sometimes, you know, if you shift, or like so in the missions like Dance of Dragons, Clash of Kings, or Feast for Crows, I would shift that entire three formation and infantry units all the way to the to one side and then just have two dogs and two cav in the open. And basically just generally pulling a, a large envelopment of the opponent's list, punching through with heavy cav on one side and wrapping around with medium cav on the other. That's generally what I, I guess I try to go for. Seems to do all right. <laughs> that the list that you just, just described is remarkably similar to the the list that I played. Uh, uh, Dark Angels list. It's very very similar. Um, as I recall, did did he have Rob as his commander though? I believe it was. I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it was Rob and Thorn Swords, and then Thorn Swords with. That's all right. That I believe I, I believe it was Sworn Swords with uh, Brain and Hodor, and then it was mm-hmm. Bowman with Brickin, and then Tully Cavaliers. Yep. I believe is what he had. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. got like some um, three direwolves to maximize his activations, uh, whereas I'm happy to trade out an activation to get the ca- uh, second cavalry unit for a bit more sort of because- capability and wounds. Yeah, because you're bringing Outriders, I'm sure, which is uh, a lot of Stark players will tell you that they're maybe the best unit for their points that that's available in the army. Uh, I absolutely yeah. love them when I when I ran them in NRG. Yeah, they're great. Um, I particularly like the mix of Cavaliers <laughs> and Outriders uh, because I feel like you you get a really nice big smash based unit with the Cavaliers, and then you yeah. get that outflanking unit. Over um, three grand for the start Okay. 
You guys there? Yep, I'm here. I'm here. Okay, cool. Sorry, just uh, getting a bit of background noise. That's all. No, that's it. Yeah, so I didn't know if that was you. Um, but uh, at any rate, the Outriders and the Cavaliers is definitely a really strong one-two punch. Uh, it's mm. something that I ran in, in, in NRG, so uh, I can definitely attest to the strength of them. But it's funny, both of you guys mentioned a scenario, and I think it's worth uh, saying when we're talking about loading up a flank deployment that um, sometimes in this game, just in general, it's a really good idea to uh, – essentially it's what Arya's card reads. Uh, her ability never do what they expect so i think in a dance with dragons when you're doing that deployment where i was saying you kind of feign the deployment to one side by maybe you put a unit in the center and then you put a unit to one side of that unit it's a really good play to fake out your opponent because everybody leans so hard into that ncu objective but a lot of times Mm -hmm. it's like well i can live without my ncu and the vulnerable weakened token is still really good so i will have they, they'll, they'll go so hard on that NCU side because some people just believe that if you get the NCU token, like, you win that game mode. But I'm like, that's fine. You can have it because my whole army is over here on this side with my commander sitting on this vulnerable weakened token, and your commander is way over there. So you're either going to react to my side of the field or I'm going to beat the piss out of your stuff on this side, you know? And it's it kind of people don't expect that, so... Uh, it sounds like maybe that's something you agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, especially if like, uh, again, this is a stocks perspective, but I think it does apply to any sort of three point NCU lists. If you've got like a once per game ability NCU proccing them just before your opponent is able to get that cancel NCU effect can be really like, a big middle finger to them where it's like, okay, you've taken it. Now you get nothing out of it except the points. Um, Like for example, they grab it, you pull Sansa and just whatever's in your discard pile, grab the most useful card for you and, and accept that that's it. You know? Actually, it's really funny you say that because I I did that one game. Um, I think it was in the NRG event and uh, it was either in the game or in a practice for the game. And I let them have the NCU side and it was like, well, I'm going to pop Aria right now. Then I'm going to pop Sansa right here. And all of his activations up to the point where he took the token, where he went on the board, I just barrissed it. So by the time he picked the token up, I think I had one barris token left and Sansa was spent and Aria was spent. I was like, yeah, that's fine. You can shut Varys off. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, like if I need him back like game, I'll get him. Well, I, I was going to say too. So you, I mean, it sounds like both of you run three NCUs. I run two. So actually, for me, when someone puts that down, that's something that I actually I go for because I I personally oh. can't afford to give up my NCU. Oh. That's just, that's just me though. I, I typically run two, um, but oh, usually oh, okay. it's Aria and Santa. Oh, so gotcha. yeah, one-time one time use, yeah. Yeah, or uh, I was just thinking, you know, it also sort of applies to, like, Tywin and Lannisters, that sort of thing. Um, use it to, you know, like, just blow those sorts of abilities if you think that's who your opponent is going for, to give them nasty little options. Yeah, I've actually... I've, um, I've been a little bit inspired by... Um, seeing some of the guys throughout these other metas 
just bringing these really powerful lists with just the two NCUs. And, and I was into that mentality for a little while that you, that you really needed three. And I do like running three, so don't get me wrong, but I have kind of backpedaled a little bit on the three at all costs NCU situation. So I've been running two as well. And I find that depending on what you do with those points and what you do with your units, uh, two NCU builds are, are acceptable. I know that the site, uh, that, that the stats will say that, it's a it's a major mismatch, but it, it depends on what you're building and who's running it. One of, one of my favorite things to say is uh, I can show you this list and you can think what you want of the list, but at the end of the day, you're playing the list and you're playing me. So the thing mm. is, like, you, you can copy a list all that you want. Somebody can copy, like, uh, Lockie's list, and if they don't know how to play that list, they don't know how to set up the terrain the way that he's designed that list to work, it's not going to work. So... Um, I think it's an interesting thing with this game is that every list that you make is kind of you on the table. And that's, that's what you've come up with because it's your interpretation of what you think is best, what you think works best. And, and you've got some kind of idea in your mind, whether it's how you're going to deploy it or whether it's how you're going to play it, but you've got some idea of how this is going to work. So I think it's, it's all dependent on how you play and, and what you bring. So just a so, little side um, note there. Uh, I, I agree with that uh, 100%. Um, in Infinity, it's got the same thing. And essentially the catchphrase is, it's not your list, it's you. Um, and the idea being there, like, it, there are limitations, but to a certain extent, composition of a, a, of a list doesn't matter if you have the right tools. It's how you use those tools on the table that matters. Okay, so we can uh, we can definitely move on to the next little bit here. Um, mm-hmm. Back to focusing on um, some of these formations and some of the notes that you've got written down here. You've got position and matchup counters to the opponent's units. So I'm interpreting that as um, obviously you play Stark, so you've got some uh, advantages that maybe some other armies don't because you can drop those wolves as a dummy drop and then you can set your matchups the way that you want to. But if you want to elaborate a little bit more on that, because I think even some of our users could could use to hear that mentality of how you play that drop game. And, and I think it's really important, but uh, these are your notes that you take off and uh, get us kind of started on how you, how you do that drop game to get the matchups that you want. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, so actually to, to drag it away from Starks and maybe highlight the example a little bit, um, if I use Lannisters as an example, one of my sort of like templates that I like for them is two guardsmen units, a unit of something like cutthroats or halberdiers, a unit of crossbows and a unit of Knights of Castle Rock. Uh, and I think that that sort of thing is uh, pretty common. Uh, so if we think of what we've been talking about previously about baiting out deployments and stuff like that, uh, the, and baiting out sides, the Knights of Castle Rock are mobile enough that you can put them down in the middle of the table early. And by by the time you need them, which is usually around round two, they can be wherever you need them on the table. So if you put them down centrally first, you're not really giving your opponent any information on where you're go- where the rest of your army is going to deploy. 
And then you can follow that up with putting down uh, the two guardsmen units, right? But leaving space between the guardsmen units for and the Knights of Castle Rock for your crossbows and halberdiers to deploy. And then that means that you've put down three activations and even Starks, you know, by three activations, you're probably getting a general feel for where most of their units are going and where space is still on the table for the units they haven't deployed to actually fit and be in a reasonable position. And so after that, you know, you follow up, you go your crossbows here and your halberdiers here, and then you've got your line. You already had the idea of what you wanted to deploy and how you wanted to deploy it for most of the list in your mind, you know, like Knights Central, two guardsmen on a flank of your choice with space in between them. But you've still got the flexibility to go, all right, I need my halberdiers in the center to match up with your, say, berserkers or sworn swords that are going to be pushing through there. And then I want my crossbows on this flank because they're supporting my knights and they can push up with them and get a flanking shot into the rest of your army or something like that. Um, and just by having that plan, uh, but deploying it such that you don't give your opponent any of the uh, tools you have, which answer the problems posed by your opponent's list early, you can better deploy and position yourself with a little bit of flexibility. That comes through, right? Uh, absolutely. I read it as a. I, I I know exactly what you were trying to say. Um, do you have any any thoughts to add to it, um, Jose? Um, any counterpoints or um, just overall your thoughts on it? No, um, just like a I guess a a question while we're on this topic. For both of you, uh, so I mean, yeah, I, I I think that's a good way to do your deployment as far as that goes. And I wanted to know, in your, in your opinions, if there is uh, ever something that would throw your de- your deployment plans off. So like, you know, you have you have your ideas of how you want to deploy. You have, you know, you see their list. You kind of have a matchup of where you know what's going to match up with what. And then, is there anything that you guys have encountered where you're like, you have this idea of how you wanted things down, and then it just kind of like gets all thrown out of whack, you know, when, when, when they do something different that you don't expect. Uh, yeah. All cavalry armies. They, um, <laughs> they kind of scare the shit out of me. They're, uh, they're so fast. They're so mobile. They can be pretty much wherever they want to be on the other side of the table. If that's where they want to be the next round. Um, so trying to, adjust and plan and account for where they're going to be round two is a lot harder um, than it sure. is for other, other factions. And it's a, it's a hard thing to quantify in raw numbers. It's a bit easier if you can measure things out and do pictures and whatnot. Yeah, no, for sure. So you, I'm assuming you have like a tougher time against like Targaryens then usually? Uh, Targaryens, not so much. Um with my Starks, uh, purely because direwolves match up well enough versus, say, Screamers and Outriders, but versus, like, four heavy cavalry armies where they can go, all right, we're deployed center and left, but by round two we're center and right, and we're going to hit that unit twice with lances and then hit this unit twice with lances, and we've killed two units on your right-hand flank 
and are in, in a position to wrap around your left. That is, I have a list ages ago um, that I used to run that was specifically to handle that sort of punch through. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. I'm going to have to be bringing it back into the local meta. <laughs> Cause, uh, yeah, yeah. True. yeah, they're nasty. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely difficult to account for. Um, so I definitely agree with you. For me personally, since I play Baratheons right now, um, one of the hardest things I have when I'm like deploying and like throws off my deployment a little bit is archers, like any kind of archers. Cause right now I don't feel that, uh, I have an answer for them. So it really throws me off and they become like a major target for me too. So like, uh, you know, I have a buddy who plays Night's Watch and he loves his crossbows and every time he puts them down, like, I'm like, man, so I have to like really think of like, cause I feel like for, for me, for Baratheons, it's a slower army. I have nothing that can get to them quick enough and anything that can possibly get to them. I don't feel like it has enough armor to block the, the, the damage they're going to take before they get there. So mm. I, uh, it really, it really throws off my deployment sometimes. So like I have to, a lot of times I'll, I'll decide to either just avoid them as a whole, or, you know, maybe, maybe put something there that can just take the hits like wardens or something and just ignore them and just try to keep the wardens alive by healing or whatever. But that, that, that definitely throws off. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I get what you're saying. Um, I think Baratheons, uh, both because they're slow and don't have as many tools yet as other armies, right, right. have to be a bit more careful about deployment. But archers in particular, um, the reason, sorry to interrupt, but one of the reasons I wanted to no, do no, is uh, what you're saying, I feel like, is, is the same problem that I have when I'm playing free folk, you know, like range, long range in particular, just choose them to pieces. Uh, my answer to that, or one of the best answers I've found for that, is forests. Uh, and if it was Baratheons, I'd probably say a combination of forests and walls, because walls are obscene for a warden unit. Having a two-plus mm. save infantry is just messed. But a forest is a large footprint. It doesn't really disorder your charges. So, like, rough sucks, but you're not rough and hindering. Um, and at the same time, even just forcing crossbows to hit on a four plus with your, your standard, you know, throw out a weakened token on them when you can, you'll be, um, you'll find that the damage that they can be doing to your units significantly um, um, minimized. Yeah, no, I, for sure. So um, like I said before, so in, in our, in our group over here, we, we do random terrain. So sometimes I don't yeah, have yeah, the, no, uh, no, no, no. The, the luxury of the forest. Which, but when I when I do have the option, like if I roll a seven, honestly, that's definitely something I always put down. Um, if I'm versing someone with archers. And then as of now, my solution is really like, like I said, putting some wardens, letting them take the hits. And then I use Shira to heal them. And then when she goes into money, she can put down a weekend. So I keep a weekend. Mm. Um, and then I just, oh, and then I, I keep everything that distance and just try and hit them with melt. I use Mel to like just whittle them down. Um, that's my yeah. solution right now for for everything. Uh, but definitely, like I said, for as far as deployment goes, every time someone brings archers or more than one archer, like I have to like really think, like double check my deployment and what I want to do and where I want things deployed. Because um, anything that hits hard enough for Baratheons has like a four up defense, so it's like they really can't be taking too many you know long range hits. They're also not gonna, they're not going to be useful. So. That's something that I always look out for when I'm deploying, and it makes me double-check everything. Um, but, yeah, what, what, what about you, Brett? Anything that when you know that throws off your deployment when you see it? or 
I guess I'm I guess I'm going to chime in with uh, you a little bit to an extent. Um, when I was yeah. playing the uh, the Starks list in particular, um, I didn't really like seeing archers and uh, the bowmen that were in the list of Dark Angels. I think was kind of the the unit that tilted the match. Honestly, uh, he and I had uh, it was close to a mirror match. I had the advantage on the tactics board. Uh, we each had a unit of uh, Tully Cavaliers, but I leaned into the Outriders, and he leaned into the Bowmen, and he brought Bowmen with Rickon, so he had one more wolf than me, and it, it ended up being, I think, the biggest difference. Um, those Bowmen were... <laughs> they harassed my Umbers. They kept Rob to where he couldn't safely go into that zone. Um, so, yeah, Archers are a little bit of a problem, but... Um, Darks definitely have tools to deal with them. Um, you know, you can use Aria to move up and then get in charge range. You've got Swift Advance. You've got Devastating Impact. You've got ways to deal with them. But he just played a really solid game, and I think a a good, strong, solid player who's using the terrain and who is, is setting things up right with archers is going to be a really scary match. Um, but yeah. with that said, when you play Baratheons, are you playing Stannis or are you playing um, Renly? I play uh, Stannis side. Thing because I think a lot of Baratheon players are overlooking Davos as a, a commander or Davos or however you say it. He mm-hmm. has the yeah he's got the one thing that Baratheons lack. And so for me, um, my personal take on a lot of things is if you've got like an attachment or if you've got a commander that shores up one weakness of the army. So the entire Baratheon's weakness is, is being slow, except for the champions of the stack. You've got a bunch of infantry. Your basic troop is movement four. They're really, really good, but they're slow. Uh, Davos adds several tricks to, to get them across the board. And then I know that we've talked about it in small council, and Justin hates me for it, but I really like Devin, and I like him in a unit of basket girls. <laughs> Because you can stand at 13 inches and be safe. Or I'm uh, 13 inches. Yes, 13 inches. You can shift up into the 11 inch and take your shot with your bastards, girls. Then you can do reckless heroism and automatically roll a six so you can make that charge from downtown and you know that you're going to make it. And the reason I appreciate reckless heroism so much, it's by the way, it's my favorite new ability that's, that's come out by far. Any day of the week. I would take D3 wounds to make a six on a charge. So with that said, especially in that (laughs) faction, being able to roll a six, it's not only giving you almost cavalry-like range, but you're not going to roll a disordered charge. And the bastard girls, you're going to get those four shots, and then you're you're getting that deep charge with vicious, and you can make things happen, Uh, in particular with Shira being able to hand out tokens. So, uh, you've got a chance to make them vulnerable from the bows, but I would lean into the, the panic token because of the vicious. So uh, it's like a damage multiplier, and I really, really like the idea of that unit. I know that his that, loyalty um, ability is something, we're missing something for that one to make sense, but uh, just for reckless heroism, it's almost worth two points in an army that's just that slow. I, um, if I may, I also think that could be really powerful with a tough unit. Um, given the rest of the Baratheon cards, uh, I find they're a bit like Free Folk. Once they're engaged, they're very, very hard to deal with. Um, and so, like, pinning down the opponent's line with a unit that is tough enough to survive, 
but just gets that fixed charge and bam, I'm in. And then your more fragile but more dangerous units follow it up with counter uh, charge, lash out. Um, is it lash out or last stand? And uh, ours is a fury. Um, that sounds like a very nasty little combo. Yeah, I mean, that's, those, are, those, are, those are good points. Um, I've, I hadn't thought of that, to be honest. That's a really good point. I guess that would also help ease the deployment too because then you know if i if i use devos and then like exactly you guys said then use Devin, you could probably have more comfortability with the deployment i guess that's a really good point i hadn't i hadn't thought of that definitely one you guys definitely got me excited to try that though (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i'm a Uh, fan so uh i hate to say it guys i'm unfortunately gonna have to bounce a little early um just at work at the moment and my time is unfortunately up for my break um i i do i am sorry um but this has been a a really good conversation um uh yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure pleasure having you so i i really uh, appreciate you and i'm i'm sure i speak for everybody and in small council and saying, you know, thank you for coming on and sharing some of this with us. We didn't necessarily stay on topic and I know that you have a lot more to share with the community, but uh, it did end up turning into a pretty nice conversation. And I, I feel, I feel like it's going to be informative and maybe we've made some people give some things a second thought. So I definitely appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. Like, uh, really, like I could just talk about this gamble guy. Um, and <laughs> Yeah, we heard you cut out a little bit. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I said thank you for having me. I could talk about this game all, all day if, if I got half a chance, but um, unfortunately I do have to run because, uh, yeah. Um, Cause I'll talk to you guys online, though. It's all it good. Does, yeah, I'll send you a message. Thanks. Thanks again. Bye. See ya. Thank you. Now it's just you and I, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, it's oh, Dave, you're on now? Too, huh? <laughs> yeah, I literally just uh, just got up. So, uh, sorry, everyone. I was uh, held up late at work. Normally, I don't work Tuesdays, but uh, a fellow employee needed to switch a day. So, uh, I figured since I was getting off at 8, it wouldn't be a problem. But, of course, they gave me a very, very last-minute uh, call I had to do. So, But I am here, um, I guess, It'll be us three. You know, the funny thing is, without you, without you coming on here and uh, talking so much, we we've pretty much covered most of the things that we need to cover in forty-five minutes. We might actually close on time tonight. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just kidding. Background. (laughs) I'm I'm totally just kidding. You know, we love you, Dave. No, I I guess we can give you a real quick recap of what we covered, and then we can. We can pick up some things, and you can weigh in on it uh, a little bit on the things we already covered. So we covered um, some I, of the – um, oh, well, then, do, do you have anything to add, Dave? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was listening, uh, but since I was the one driving back, I couldn't, like, weigh in. Uh, I know some of you probably heard uh, a bunch of random noise. That was where my phone cut out. I called back in, and then I was unmuted. So – but, yeah, I heard, like, 
I don't know, I'd say almost all of it. But uh, to kind of run through some of the stuff you guys talked about, uh, um, random terrain uh, versus picking your terrain, I'm kind of on the fence. I think I'm still have the same position I had uh, before, which was if we're going to play in a tournament, I'd rather pick my terrain. And every other time, I'd rather it be random. Um, I think random is just more fun uh, in general. But I think uh, picking your terrain definitely weighs in on a lot of strategy uh, with needing to know what to pick uh, for your units while not also helping your opponent's units or, you know, picking something that's going to hurt your opponent but maybe not hurt you. So I think uh, it does... Uh, they both have their kind of traps that uh, for picking terrain, you're going to be stuck with usually a lot of coarse piles and uh, weirwood trees. But like you were saying, Brett, I have to agree that with the random terrain, at least the way the table is set up right now, it ends up being almost always destructible all the time. Uh, I think maybe if they reworked the the table a little bit, maybe swap uh, the bog with the, um, with the palisade and then swap maybe the hedge with the forest, you would see a lot more bogs and forests, which would still allow for uh, a nice mixture of terrain while not being all destructible and not being a bunch of weirwood trees and corpse piles. So uh, that's kind of my take on that subject. Um, let's see. Uh, you were talking about like uh, positioning and or, uh, deployment and how to like deploy, you know, encounter to your opponent. Um, and I thought it was interesting. I heard, uh, uh, I think it was you, Brett. I could be wrong. Uh, if it was Lockie, that you know, dropping the wolves early as like that uh, delay drop to kind of get uh, an idea of what your opponent's going to do. It's funny because uh, for me as a start player. I actually like placing the wolves first. Um, I know that uh, my opponent usually doesn't care. Or, sorry, I I like to deploy my wolves last. So, I don't know, my opponent probably doesn't care much where my wolves are going to be. But I like uh, deploying them last because it allows me to make sure that they're not going to be across from uh, something that's going to just eat them up. Uh, granted, they are fast, so I can kind of, you know, if you really needed to, you can fix that. But uh, I like being able to, uh, you know, be like, oh, man, you know, they deployed all to one side. Okay, I can just throw a wolf on this objective on the side that they didn't deploy on. But if I have to drop all my wolves first, I have to kind of play around that after the fact. Uh, or if you know, if I have way more activations than them and I know if they go all to one side, I can deploy all my units to that side, especially if they're going to be deploying first and I can still do a one-for-one one based on what they deploy and then just line up my three wolves, as, you know, all next to each other, all on the dead side and then just shoot them across the field, get to their back flank uh, or get, you know, to their back field with, uh, with three different wolves can be pretty game changing as well. So, uh, but I know that's not the more popular option. Uh, you know, placing them first is usually the more popular thing to kind of wait out your opponent. But, 
is, I guess, just a kind of different play style in that sense. Now, uh, what was, uh, like, the last topic you guys talked about? Because I had just got to the station and had to get the rig all cleaned up and then turn in my paperwork. Uh, so I missed that the last part you guys talked about. Uh, I, I had asked everyone if there was anything that you, when it gets deployed by your opponent, that throws off your plan for deployment. So uh, Lockheed was saying that, like, armies that are cav-heavy uh, cav uh, mess them up. And then I was saying, for me, uh, archers really throw off my positioning and deployment uh, from the start. Like, I have to, like, really think about it. So we were saying if there's anything that makes you have to, like, rethink or, um, you know, to kind of double-check your positioning and deployment um, when you see it across the field. Um, for me, it's a lot more specific. So uh, not necessarily, let's say, ranged. It's ranged in combination with uh, uh, how far deployment is. So, for example, uh, in Fire and Blood, maybe like the first handful of games I ever played in it, you know, I deployed at 18, but almost every single game after that, I've never deployed up at the 18 simply because a lot of my lists don't run ranged and my opponent, if they run ranged, you know, they're able to shoot you right off the bat. And, you know, with something like fire and blood, even if you're an offensive army, maybe being too aggressive in that mission is going to be, you know, it could be your downfall, you know, things, you know, are fighting each other turn one and it's way different than any other uh, mission that you're going to be playing. So I like to deploy at 12 or uh, like 14 inches uh, to kind of give myself a little cushion because especially being a Stark player, I know I can kind of close that gap if I need to uh, in the later, you know, come round two or whatnot. But I don't want, you know, because the mission is such an outlier, I don't want something unforeseen to kind of blow me away turn one because I just wanted to get that, you know, deploy a couple extra inches, you know, up on the, on the deployment line. So I'd say uh, range units or cavalry units in uh, Fire and Blood in particular. And then I think there's another mission now in, uh, in the beta missions that also has an 18 inch range. So um, those, both of those are uh, kind of throw me off because, you know, you never know what's going to happen, especially if you deploy full at 18 and your opponent's at 18 and, you know, they have, like, uh, Tully Cav or uh, Knights of Castle Rock, you know, an easy first-turn charge and obliterate your... Right. Wait, wait, were you asking me about Knights of Castle Rock? No, I think he, I think he cut out. Yeah, I, I, I was think you. I thought we were. <laughs> yeah, I think he's using the. I think he's using them as an example. I think he cut out though. Okay, I got you. Um, honestly, it's probably fine. Um, I get. We'll see if he's going to come back. If if he's going to come back and kind of wrap up his thoughts. Um. I think we've pretty well covered um, most of the things that we wanted to cover, right? Um, you know, it's just, it's it's really hard to give a really solid answer, you know, and I think we gave a lot of examples uh, pertaining to some scenarios that come about and uh, 
your particular play style and, and what's in your list as to as to how you want to deploy and, and maybe some things to watch out for and uh, gave a few little tricks. But uh, I think for the most part, we covered just about everything. So um, I can shoot Dave a message real quick and see if he's going to be able to jump back on or try to figure out what happened. Um, but other than that, um, unless there's something in particular that you wanted to add or a question that you wanted to ask um, or any thoughts that you might have, I, I think we could pretty well wrap up. Uh, there, there is one more thing. Um, since, you know, the top, we were talking the topic of kind of like positioning and deployment, um, there is something that I just kind of wanted to add real quick. Uh, and it was basically when in, in the middle of the game, um, positioning really can make a big difference, I think. Um, I know, for example, I played – actually, I played Dave last Wednesday. And, uh, you know, he kind of blocked a charge, one of my charges, just from his positioning of his units because I wasn't able to properly fit a tray in. And it was like – I mean, it was, like, really tight. I mean, it was, like, barely off. But, you know, it was there. And, you know, I, I so I, I think that uh, that's something to always keep in mind, too, is that the way you position your units, the way you, you can block things, you can block units, you can force people to make charges only on half or, or a certain side that you want. Um, that's something that I think that, you know, you people should always pay attention to and um, because it could really, if you don't, it really could really throw things off. Um, you know, if you're planning on charging something and turns out you can't, it's off by like millimeters or something. Um, you know, that's something that you should really look out for. And uh, I think it's important, an important part of the game is, uh, is that, that, that part of the positioning. Just, you know, I know we've talked about focus a lot on deployment, but even mid-game, I think your positioning is, is always huge. Uh, it's even millimeters can make a difference. So. Hey, guys. Yeah, I actually uh, – Can you hear me better? Yeah. Yes, yep. Dave. Welcome back, Dave. No, I think uh, – <laughs> We're talking. We're talking about positioning throughout the game, um, and, and in particular, Jose's talking about the uh, 50% rule, which I'm I'm glad he brought that up because it is definitely something that's really super important. And I and since we had already kind of talked about range a little bit, I think it's uh, it's worth mentioning with this uh, with this subject as well with a, a ranged unit and in particular the Stark Bowman. If you can cover just a tiny little bit of their tray. Uh, and then use that palisade, you can make it to where they can't even be charged in the front unless they kill a unit to get to them. So if you park something like Tully Sworn Shields in front of those bowmen, and then their other side is blocked by a palisade, uh, you're going to have to fight the Tully Cav, or uh, excuse me, the Tully Sworn Shields, and risk getting shot while you're in combat. And uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. Um, I know that mage isn't super common right now, but uh, I've played into a list where uh, a good friend of mine, John, had uh, not John Hurley, John Ailes, but he had a unit of Tully shields with Mage Mormont, and then he had Roderick in a unit of Bowman behind that unit. So I was vulnerable. Roderick was shooting into me. Roderick was triggering a panic check on Mage, which she was saving on a uh, 4+, and then I was taking D3 wounds from Mage. So it was just a really bad situation and not where I wanted to be. So, I mean, I knew what I was getting into with it, but, uh, you know, just, just using that 50% rule to your advantage in a situation like that could be devastating. Yeah, no, for yeah, sure. And, and uh, you know, to kind of touch on what uh, Jose was talking about with our game is that, 
you know, you that uh, the 50 percent or 100 percent rule or, you know, if not either of those, anything in between. So 51 to 99, uh, it could be abused quite a bit. And I know a lot of people don't really like it. Uh, And I have to agree that it, it doesn't seem right, but compared to the old uh, rules, I think it's it's definitely still a big improvement because uh, at least you can justify justify it by saying you tactic positioned your units well, whereas before there were so many like weird instances of things you have to pull this unit towards you or not towards you or, you know, there's before it it was just so confusing. Now, uh, though there's a, you know, kind of a bad side effect uh, to the rule change for aligning and charging and whatnot, uh, I think uh, it's definitely a lot better than it used to be. But uh, to kind of elaborate more on some of the, like, things you can do. Now, this is something I would only recommend if, you're comfortable with your opponent as in your good friends and, uh, you know, and you're okay playing this way. Uh, if you're just trying to like really test each other's, you know, skills, or if you're in maybe a tournament, cause I've always, you know, been on the opinion that if it's a tournament and it's, it's within the rules, then do it. Just don't be, you know, mean about it, I guess. Don't, uh, you know, be sleazy, but if it's within the rules and it's a tournament, you know, you know, just use all the tools you have at your disposal. Anyways, so with uh, the 50% rule, if you can't get at least 50%, or if your tray can't even fit, then, you know, you can't make the charge. You can't charge in there. So uh, what I did in particular was I had a unit that was – had there was two units next to each other, like with one just barely uh, further up than the other, uh, and then on the other side, I got the other unit and I pivoted him to where I'm talking less than a millimeter of my tip of the corner of my tray was blocking the other side, so that technically a tray, an enemy tray, could not fit in the front of my unit. Uh, so, you know, if you were to make the charge and try to place your tray on there, it would barely sit on top of the corner of your, uh, the tray of the unit next to you, uh, or next to the one you're charging. So making it not be able to fit. Um, and there's other situations like, uh, if you move a unit up and you don't want them to be charged, you pivot them so much to where their arrow, so the halfway mark, is obscured by the unit next to them. So you're not like horizontal with them or uh, vertical with them or whatnot. You're just you're on an angle, but just so just enough so that the enemy is still in your front arc. So they have to charge your front. Uh, granted, if they're cavalry or have some way to get a maneuver, then you could kind of be SOL because then they have a nice side shot on you. Uh, but if you pivot just so so much to where your arrow, the halfway point, is um, in line with 
the unit, uh, your own unit next to you, then they can't charge you because they have to charge your front and they have to meet at least 50%. Uh, so this is a way for you to still see your opponent uh, with your unit uh, while being able to prevent them from charging you. Now, again, this is a tactic that I would not recommend for, like, super friendly games because it is very gamey. It is, you know, it is taking the rules to the extreme and really taking, you know, taking every benefit out of it that you can. So this is just something that uh, until they, you know, change it in the rules, you know, that you're probably going to want to reserve for test games for tournaments and turn tournaments themselves. Um, you know, I believe like in our game, Jose, uh, or I played uh, your friend the game before, and I didn't pull any of those tactics because I knew, you know, one, I didn't know him all that well, and two, I know he's he's not necessarily new, but he's new-ish. And so, you know, doing that kind of stuff with people like that can really sour, you know, friendships so but with me and jose you know i know jose is a really great player and you know we're good friends and we've known each other a long time so playing like that is it's a bit different so you just you know take some of the tactics that we talk about on here and really kind of you know gauge them based on who your opponent is and what environment you're in or else you know you you know could sour you know some uh relationships yeah, it was, it was. I was telling him too the same thing. Like my, my buddy, he, he like you said, he, he's new-ish, and he's new-ish because he's been playing the game. I think for like, yeah, I don't know, maybe six, seven months, but he doesn't play that often, so he hasn't he doesn't have a whole lot of games under his belt. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was telling him the same thing. Like you know, when I play him, it's, it's different than when I play you. And if you look at you know when me and you played our game last week, I mean, there was tons of we were both positioning and pivoting and, you know, there was half charges here and half charges there. And it was like, it's like a whole nother game, you know, <laughs> but those, those yeah. little, those little things, they, they make, they make a difference though. They make all the difference, you know, and then they can really throw your plans off if you, if you do it correctly, you position correctly. So I just, you know, I, I know we were getting ready to wrap up, but I, I thought that was something important to mention, especially like on the topic of deployment and positioning. So, No, I think I at first so I think um myself and some other people were like, Oh man, this is gonna get abused so bad, like I'm never gonna be able to charge this unit that I want. But when the when the when the melee starts to happen, when the when the game starts to really go down, it, you don't see it a whole lot. The 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 number of times even when your opponent's trying to do it, the number of times that it really super matters in the game, it, it doesn't happen too terribly much. Now, there are definitely smart players and, and good players um, that I've played against that are like, well, and, and they're usually really good about declaring intent, too, is, is another thing. And I think that's important when you have a situation like that um, mm-hmm. to let your opponent know so that, he, so that it doesn't piss them off. So, like when I play Yannick, for example, from uh, Tabletop Warden, when him and I are playing, you know, he'll move this unit and I, I see what he's doing. And, and it's like, well, my intent is I'm going to angle this and this, the corner of this tray is just covering it. So you won't be able to reach 50%. And it's like, yeah, well, thanks a lot. I can't charge that unit in the front now. It's cool. I'll have to, <laughs> you know, reevaluate my plans and do something different, Yannick. But it's not really that big of a deal. Um, 
it goes both ways because they give up a little bit to position them that way. And, you know, maybe they do something really goofy like that and they, they like set this unit up and they curve it just a little bit thinking that uh, you're not going to be able to get into their front and then you swift advance their ass. And because they turned that unit just that tiny bit to keep you out of the front, you're in their flank easier. So it's give and take with that, you know, but, uh, I think it's fine. I think it's a good rule. Um, and I, I think it goes more into the direction where they're taking this game to uh, to reward people who play, you know, a little bit more tactically on the competitive level. But at the same time, the game is still fine to just be played as a pickup and fun game, just like Dave said. You don't have to play super gamey all the time. If you want to play casually or you just don't want to take the time that it that it takes to learn the game and play at that hardcore level, the game is still fun. So... It's a really well-designed, uh, my favorite thing to say about the game is it's super easy to learn, super easy to play, but it's really hard to master. So I think it's fine that they add little rules like that that are going to reward people who think that far ahead and, and you know, they set their traps and they, they use everything at their disposal to their benefit. And there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I agree. 100%. Yeah. I, 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 I like the rule, so. Yeah, it's, but you know, you're, like you were saying, Brett, just, uh, you know, make sure you're, you know, your intent, uh, you, you know, make sure, you know, you, you express your intent because, you know, especially if someone out there is playing, you know, if you're playing someone and they're not really, you know, they don't really know about, being able to do that, you know, it never really crossed their mind because maybe they're just a more casual player or maybe they just don't get as many games as they would like in. And, you know, that can kind of sour a game if, you know, you're playing and all of a sudden you you pull that and then they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, is that really a rule? And, you know, and it can really, it can frustrate some people. So definitely uh, let them know of your intent and definitely gauge it based on the environment you're in. I think it's. I think this is a fair opportunity to just make a kind of a blanket statement about the game. Um, I know for the most part this community is awesome, and and this statement probably doesn't really affect most people that listen and play the game. But seriously, it's it is possible to play war games, and in particular this game, without being a jerk. You don't have to be a jerk, um, <laughs> and it's kind of a jerk move if you don't, you know, if you don't engage with your opponent and tell him what's going on. It would be a total jerk move if you did that and you're like, nah, but see, it's like one-tenth of a millimeter, dog. You're not going to be able to fit in the front. <laughs> like, seriously. The game is, like, it's, you know what I mean? It's like it's super fun. Like, just don't be a jerk, you know? Just if you don't want them to be able to get in, say, yeah, I measured it and, you know, it's, this is the way that it is or and, – and just avoid that fight. Like, oh, well, you bumped the tray when you hit it with your ruler, like – talk to them that's you know that's a big thing of the game like engage with your opponent talk to them the whole time and it really helps um i've been lucky enough to win best sports like i think three times and it's and to me that's like it's, it's a really nice feeling to have like yeah maybe i won some games but whether i won or i lost i i know for sure that i that i've never been a jerk in any game that i've played so that's a big thing so just engage with your opponent, communicate with them, 
it makes the experience a whole lot better, and you'll probably make some friends after the event. So, yeah, I'm gonna take a second to plug in uh, our shows. Uh, if you guys haven't uh, heard them yet, we do have a show on player etiquette, and uh, we have a show on. Um, uh, what was the other one? Um, now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, but we have a show. We have two different shows talking about all that sort of stuff. So definitely go check them out. Um, I think at this point we have getting close to like 35 episodes. So definitely go back and check some of those. And you know there might be some some uh, that you missed or some that. Uh, have stood the test of time. I know some of our earlier shows, you know, were back before a lot of updates and whatnot, but uh, there's definitely some in there that uh, apply kind of no matter where you're at. But, uh, yeah, with that said, I think, uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to add? Uh, I think, I think I'm good. No, I think I think we covered what we set out to cover, and I think we even went off a little bit and covered some other things that were definitely worth talking about. Um, uh, Jose, I really appreciate you. You helped me kind of carry it through today. You brought up a couple of really good points that I wasn't going to bring up. So I think all in all, we we covered some things that we wanted to cover. We pulled on ourselves and gave some of our tricks about how we deploy and <laughs> what we do in Dance with Dragons, so it's not going to be a surprise at the next event. But, no, I think <laughs> I think uh, I think we covered what we wanted to cover, so I don't really have anything to add. Awesome. Um, so we can uh, kind of close out with uh, a couple uh, plugs and shout-outs. So, uh, Brett, I'll let you take uh, the lead on the tournament happening uh this weekend tournaments yep we yep we plugged it we plugged it at the beginning but i'll just uh reiterate it's uh saturday is the singles event in family time games uh the last time i looked we were up to 36 that were confirmed going um as i mentioned small council radio is doing a little uh after party show uh we're one of chase's guests from on the table gaming uh chase is a huge uh community content creator so it's definitely an honor to be brought on there with with him and uh he's going to be asking us about the tournament as well and some of the things that we've got going on um and shane's actually going on as well to talk about family time games in the store so should be a really good time but saturday is the singles event we're set for four rounds um it's going to be super fun if you're on the fence definitely come out because we're doing a beginner free tournament as well so you'll be mixed in with with everybody but um you know, I'm going to be having little side conversations with the guys that are newer or, or not as uh, not as into the game, and we're going to make sure that they get paired together. So if you're on the fence, like, well, maybe I want to come, but I don't want to get the crap beat out of me. There are plenty of um, casual gamers that are going to be playing in the event as well, and so we'll make sure that you get paired with those guys. Uh, we will not put you against Dave round one, okay? <laughs> you won't have to deal with his, his, his Umbertoli oh. list, I promise. So. Can't you can't promise that because uh, there will be you know because you can promise that someone if you're paired against me you'll be paired with another experienced player because that's what that's what the yeah, right. okay basically. that's fair yeah yes I'm saying so first I'm round I will face a newer person but. <laughs> No, I'm saying if they're a casual gamer, they uh, 
they don't have to be worried about playing a hardcore gamer at least the first round. Now, if you if you win your way, are you way talking about the main the, event the, or the team event? Yeah, the main event. The main event because oh, okay. uh, sorry, that's where I was getting confused. Because Car- well, Carlo has a way to uh, in the first round you can change it to where like guys that rode together if they get drawn in the Swiss pair you can adjust that and it's something that that Marty did as well at the uh, Acon Primers. You know, I don't want to have you guys drive all the way here to play each other round one like i gotta play dave i just rode with dave for freaking four hours you know what i mean like so we try yep. to make sure those things don't happen and carlo's got an, an ability to go in there and change that for us so uh it's fantastic which is worth mentioning uh carlo song of ice and fire stats in the guild uh we are using his uh tournament doc his uh tournament site the song of ice and fire stats page it's going to make running the tournament super easy uh if you're a TO and you've considered doing it, it's definitely worth doing. It's pretty hands-off for the TO. The players go verify their scores, and then it does the uh, scoring as far as tournament points for, for crushing win and all of these things for you. So you don't really have to do much math. You kind of just get to look at it and, and announce it. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Yep. And then and the team of uh, Sunday – and we'll be switching partners every round based on the the person with the most crushing win gets paired with the person with the most crushing defeat. And you switch and switch, and you should have a different partner every round. And it's just always good fun anyway. But one really quick thing, because I know we've got some tabletop simulator fans. I mentioned it, but it's worth mentioning again. Our guest, Lockie Carter, if you want to play him, he is in the Australian time zone. He's 14 hours off from me in Eastern Standard Time, so you would, you would need to plug that time zone in. But his handle on uh, Song of Ice and Fire stats and Discord is da border, so D A border, like B O A R D E R. So if you're curious to reach out to him and try to set up a game, he's definitely a really good guy to play, and uh, you might learn something from him. So. If you're interested in, you know, getting a game with him to see how he does, what he talked about tonight, that's his name. Awesome. And then I just have uh, one more plug. Uh, This is uh, kind of a different type of plug um, and kind of just asking uh, you guys, I know all you listeners out there, if you're ever wanting to support us uh, or help us out in any way, this is definitely be one of them. Uh, It's, a fundraiser for a close friend of mine. Uh, uh, they, her and her husband are uh, raising funds because uh, their um, their unborn baby at the moment is has been diagnosed with uh, CDH, which is congenital diahernia. I probably pronounced the second uh, part wrong there, but. Um, basically it's an extra large hole in the left side of the diaphragm and currently where they live in Michigan, uh, the baby only has about a 30% uh, chance to live uh, after being born. So they are trying to raise funds to temporarily move to Florida uh, so that way they can have the baby at a different hospital, which has over a 90% chance for survival. So 
Uh, they're only asking for 10000 which I think uh, nowadays, you know, with everything going on and then a lot of, you know, other uh, fundraisers, you know, asking for quite a bit more, um, you know, this, uh, this is definitely something that you can do to help us out uh, by donating there. I mean, I would, I mean, greatly appreciate it. Um, probably uh, anyone who donates just uh, – you know, send me a message, and you know I'll find a way to make it up to you one way or another. Um, you know, so I will post a link to the fundraiser in on our main page. But this is someone I personally know, and I know it's all true. It's not just some, you know, because I know there's a lot of fake uh, uh, stories out there. I've known uh, she's my wife's um, my wife's best friend, and I've known her for I don't know probably like 13 years now. So definitely go check that out. Uh, the link I have that uh, was actually shared by uh, Fox uh, 17 West Michigan uh, news article, and you'll be able to read all the details there. Uh, and then they have a link for where you can go uh, go support it. And again, I you know I appreciate anyone that can help in any way, uh, even if you can't support it this time. You know you can't uh, donate because uh, you know I understand times are hard. You know just give it a share. Uh, and even then, I'd greatly appreciate that, you know, getting the word out there to help raise the funds. Um, but, yeah, so go check that out. I'll go post that uh, up on our page uh, in just a minute. Said, um, remember uh, to, I guess another plug technically is, Check out a song of ice and fire guild.com if you have not uh, heard or uh, got heard of it or gone and looked at it yet. It is a place where a bunch of creators all go to uh, collaborate, and uh, we we put a bunch of exclusive drops there every month, and they're all themed based on a you know based on whatever the topic is for that month. So I believe uh, last month was Baratheons. This month was Targaryens, and uh, I'm not sure if we've announced next month yet. So definitely go check out. Uh, they have anything and everything you can think of as far as content uh, between battle reports, both uh, as article form and video form. you got just articles on different topics. You have uh, podcasts, and there are also a couple of local stores if you don't have a local or not local, but if there's a couple of online stores, if you don't have a local store to buy from, you can go on there and purchase from them. Um, but yeah, you can definitely go check that out and, uh, you know, uh, give those guys, uh, all the different uh, creators on there alike and a couple of views. Um, other than that, you know, just follow us on Facebook and blog talk radio, uh, like and share out, uh, either of those and follow them. Um, we're still doing, you know, for every hundred likes, we'll give out a unit box uh, for a random person. Uh, we've kind of been sitting steady at uh, the same, same likes. So, uh, but I know there's definitely a lot of people out there that we can uh, get on board uh, the small council uh, train. So, you know, the more you share it, the, you know, the more uh, exposure we'll get especially if we're maybe not in a Facebook group uh, that you guys are in, you know, share our uh, show on there and uh, we'll go from there. Um, for those that can't make our live show every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, we are recorded on uh, a song of ice and fire stats.com. 
uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I appreciate all you guys for listening in. I appreciate my hosts. Uh, thank you, Brett, for kind of covering for me today. And uh, thank you to uh, Lockie for coming on and being our guest and definitely giving us a bunch of insight. Uh, this is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. <laughs>